she's like, no, like we're letting you go. We don't feel like you've done enough. Mm. And I was like, okay. And she's like, there was a, there was like the chief photographer in there with me. And she's like, he's going to escort you to your car. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh my, what? So I wanted to go back to my computer. I was like, like I only had to, they only gave me like a time to like go and grab my stuff off my desk. I couldn't go on my computer. I couldn't get like any of the work that I had done. They were like, this is our computer. That's what they told me. And he walked me off of the property into my car. And then they watched me drive. Like, and I think once I drove off and it hit me like, I literally just got fired from this job and I am at ground zero. Like I'm like square one. I don't have anything. So. Welcome to Pinnacle Code where we spotlight excellence in the culture. I am super excited uh, to be joined by good friend of mine, Samaria Terry. She is uh, a sports anchor and reporter for WKRN Channel 2 in Nashville, which is the ABC affiliate here in town. She's someone I see a lot at Titans practices and games through my day job covering the NFL uh, for Fox Sports. Samaria, it's good to see you. How are you doing on this rainy day uh, in <laughs> Nashville? <laughs> I'm doing good, Ben. Thank you so much for wanting me to come on. And I'm just so excited for all the things that, that you have going on. Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah. it. And uh, so, yeah, let, let's kind of, let, let's dive into it, right? So I know you're from Atlanta. Yes. And so I, I guess kind of my first question is, how did maybe growing up in that city in, in particular, like shape you as, as an individual, do you think? Oh my God, that is a tough question. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that before. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, I feel like for me personally, I grew up in a predominantly Black community. Um, I went to a huge high school that was very well known. We have like a lot of people who are kind of famous or celebrities that have gone to my high school. Um, I went to Southwest Cab High School, if anybody has ever heard of it. Got it. And okay. um, it was almost like a mini HBCU, just like, you know, piggybacking off the title of your show, Excellence, that we got to see there. And, you know, that is, I mean, you really hit it. Like, that's a good question. Oh, my gosh. Um, Take your time if you need a thing. <laughs> in church. Um, yeah, I feel like seeing all of the middle-class Black people that, you know, whether that was my own parents or my friend's parents or grandparents that raised them, just kind of seeing like everyone have success. And mm -hmm. um, I think that that kind of helped me know like, okay, like I'm, I have a solid foundation that I'm able to build on. You know, and I don't think that I was ever necessarily worried about not being okay. Mm. You know, like just being able to grow up in a community where everyone took care of everyone, that's kind of rare, you know, especially in Atlanta. Like, I'm not gonna lie, um, feeling safe in my community. I think that's something that some people may take for granted but I never felt unsafe growing mm -hmm. up. Um, and then I would go off to college and I'm like, I want to come back home. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I hope that answered your question. 
Yeah. No, I, I like that. And like a big reason for me, like wanting to start this show is just be like the fact that you grew up in an environment like that is so cool because I had the complete opposite experience. I did not see black success at all, like outside of like sports and entertainment. Like my family's from Ghana. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a suburb of Seattle that's very white and Asian. And uh, even when I'd go like into the city, like downtown, like I never really saw like black people in suits, like, you know, black people really doing anything outside of like the stereotypical stuff that we see on on TV and whatnot. And so I'm I'm curious, like being in an environment where you did maybe see black success all the time and in, in, and in all facets of life. Who were maybe the, the biggest role models for you in an environment like that? Mm, I would have to, of course, say like my parents, just mm. being able to see them get up, go to work, figure out how to get us up and take us to school, get off of work after a long day, feed us, you know what I mean? Help us with our homework and then do it all over again and, and make it look so effortless. You know, I they I would have to give them that award. Yeah, for sure. And okay. And uh I was listening to a recent podcast that you were on, like it was maybe like a year ago. Yeah, I was doing my homework. Come on now, I'm a journalist, right? I'm a journalist. So uh you uh this was a little over a year ago, you had said like your mom like was a big reason like why you were doing like journalism and and you said she had secretly wanted to be a TV anchor, but for whatever reason that never uh, mm -hmm. worked out, life happened, whatever had a family. I think you said she, she's in banking uh, yes, in this particular part. Yeah. And so, um, and, and I think it's just so cool that that is like what you're doing now is kind mm -hmm. of like what your mom's dream was. And so I guess the question like for me is like, what, what is maybe the pride you take in being able to live out your mother's dream, like through your yeah. own? Yeah. And I feel like when I get, you know, words from her, like, oh my God, Samari, I'm so proud of you. I think that that means so much more coming from her because like you just mentioned, that was something that she wanted to do. And I don't even think she even told me about it until I kind of started pursuing that. And then mm. she's like, well, did you know, like, you know, you know, I have a degree in communications and that was something that I've always wanted to do. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I don't remember if I said it in that podcast, but I was like at this luncheon and the lady that was sitting next to me was talking about how what you do goes through your DNA, just like your looks or your hair or whatever. And that's kind of neat how that is. Like even with my dad and my brother, my dad is in IT and has been for a very long time. And then my brother has a degree in getting his master's in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. So it's all, it's kind of like weird how like that kind of travels through your bloodline, like what you want to do in life and not just your appearance or your personal, well, I guess it's your personality too, because that can kind of travel uh, through your DNA too. For me, um, it is special because a lot of times children don't feel like they're completely supported by their parents. And I think mm -hmm. what we do, you have to have such a solid support system. And yeah. so I think it's just, it's such a blessing to be able to have my mom want to do this. So I'm kind of living out her dream in a way and 
in this career field where you have to have such a solid foundation. You know, yeah. that's really special for me. And I think that's why I've kind of lasted. Oh my God, it's been eight years, but I've lasted so long when others have dropped off because of my mom, of my dad, and them just helping me not only financially, because that's important, <laughs> but just yeah. like being there for me emotionally, mentally. Um, I think that's why I've had, um, you know, have been able to do this as long as I have done it and been yeah. had the success too in this in this industry, especially when things get hard, mm -hmm. uh, which they do often. So yeah. just being able to kind of lean on them is something that, you know, I'll be forever grateful for. Yeah, definitely. And as you were talking, I, I kind of remembered where, where I was going with that. Uh, like I was going to ask, like, how, how would you maybe describe like your relationship with your mom because it does seem like you guys are very close like how she's the first person you talk to or whatever mm -hmm. and and obviously the fact that you're kind of able to do what she she had wanted for herself at some point in life how, how would you maybe describe that that bond that you have i mean a mother's relationship with a child or a daughter is in in most cases already very special but how would you maybe describe the relationship you have with your own mom yeah I, she's definitely like a best friend to me um, and you know, like the parent, the, the mother daughter relationship specifically is not an easy, it gets rocky. Yeah. It's rocky. You know, yeah. when you, when you get like middle school, you like, girl, you can't tell me nothing. Um, but I think that once I got to high school and college, I was just like, okay, this is my rock. And, and it's been like that this entire time, um, and so, yeah, I would definitely just consider her just the best friend, somebody that I can call. But then obviously she's going to give me the motherly advice that I need to. But if I want to just call her and be like, girl, guess what happened today? <laughs> yeah. I can do that too, right? And like, we can have a, a good laugh and she doesn't drink, but we can have a good laugh. And so, yeah, definitely a relationship that I cherish. Okay. Right now. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, Kind of going back to your like upbringing for a sec, because you had mentioned like how you, you just were around like so much black excellence, like, mm -hmm. you know, black middle class, upper middle class, whatever it was. But but then you, you go to a school like Auburn, uh, which is, you know, very white and very big and uh, and pretty much every market, maybe except maybe Memphis and Jackson have a large black population. But just in general, like a lot of the spaces you've been in since leaving your, your you know, your city uh, have been uh, where like maybe there isn't as much black success or, or whatever. And, and so how do you think maybe just uh, how have you maybe navigated that? Uh, just no, <laughs> that, that, yeah, it's kind of a loaded question, but how have you maybe navigated that? And, and I feel mm -hmm. like maybe growing up in the environment you did equipped you to just being in an environment where you, you don't see black success as much, but how have you maybe personally just navigating, na navigated all that, knowing it, it's kind of the exact opposite of the environment you grew up around in Atlanta? Ben, it was definitely tough. And, um, you know, especially like going to a PWI, there's always this uh, debate on whether Black children should go to PWIs or should they go to HBCUs? And I've heard it my especially once I decided that I was going to go to Auburn, that was like all that I've heard. Like you should have went to an HBCU or the, the, the kids that decided to go to HBCUs. Oh, my school is better. Like you are going to a school with black kids. It's all, I mean, 
or with white kids, excuse me. And it was just always like this constant battle. But I will say though, going to the high school that I went to, I'm glad that I did go to the PWI because I don't mm. know if I would have been equipped to handle corporate America. And it's still tough to this day. It is tough. Uh, like some of the microaggressions and we'll probably get to that later on in the episode, but yeah. it was really hard. Um, and Auburn is a little bit more liberal than I would say like uh, Alabama or something like that. So it wasn't, mm. We didn't have like a lot of instances of racism, but they were prevalent. They they were definitely there. I remember um, we have like old row and new row for fraternity houses. And KA specifically had a really big house on new row. And I guess Robert, Robert E. Lee's birthday is right after Dr. King's birthday. I don't know Ooh, what wow. Robert E. Lee's birthday is. I don't hmm. really care to know. But I think it's right after. And so on Dr. King's birthday, they had this big banner that was like, happy birthday, Robert E. Lee. Hmm. And to see that, I think I may was a freshman or sophomore. I'm like, okay, so this is what we're dealing with. This is what we're dealing with here. And that it's it's really not, it, it wasn't easy to, to try to navigate that mentally, especially being so young. And I know for me personally, like, Black History Month was always difficult for me, like emotionally. I was always so emotional, even as like a little kid. I don't know if I ever feared that like what we were learning was going to repeat itself, even though sometimes mm. it kind of does. Um, so I think like being out of my comfort zone, which was that my community in East Atlanta and then going to Auburn, where like you said, we are a minority that was that was a big challenge for me because you just didn't know like if you were going to wake up and somebody was going to say something crazy to you yeah. or if you're out having a good time at the bar with your friend if someone was going to bump into you and call you out of your name you know and that's crazy that like we had to to deal with that you know yeah. But I but again, I feel like being in those spaces and we did still have like a black student union group. And so we had different groups for us to be able to like discuss things that were going on within the black community, not just in Auburn, but everywhere we could talk about like topics and, you know, whatever, whatever was going on in the United States at the time. But like I said, I think that being able to be in those spaces or being in those classrooms where I'm the only black person in there that really helped me prepare for what I was going to see when then, you know, a few years down the road, I'm the only black person in my newsroom, yeah. you know? Yeah. But Samaria, even like knowing that, right? Like you, you yeah. know that, that it's maybe preparing you for corporate America or whatever, like later on, but like when you're in the moment, right, when you're 19 or whatever, like how, how difficult is that? Like to just brush, like brush aside, like, so, like some microaggression, uh, that that a that a mm -hmm. white student said to you, like when you were 19, 20 years old, like when you were in the moment, what did it take to get past those instances? Yeah, I mean, it was really, it was, it was really difficult. And I remember we did a walkout or we did a protest on campus. And it's it's so bad to even think about because I'm trying to remember who died because it's just 
So many well, years. I want to say it may have been the Michael Brown instance. That was what in Ferguson, that Ferguson? Yeah, Ferguson. I think that's what it was. And we laid on the ground the amount of, like the, the entire duration that he laid on the ground. I want to say that's what it was. And I can send you the video, because I feel like I still have that on my phone mm-hmm. of us like marching through like our concourse, our main concourse, and then laying on the ground for the time that he was laying on the ground. And I don't remember us getting any opposition. I think that if people didn't care, they just kind of walked by, but we got a lot of support Mm. from, it wasn't just black kids that were marching. We had, you know, white kids or other, you know, people from different ethnicities. We had professors. So I think that like in those moments, then you really kind of get a little bit more peace knowing that you have the support from your campus when they don't even, they don't have to support you because it's not an issue that affects them in any way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Mike Brown, let me look. Was that Mike? Was that Mike Brown? What year was that? That's so uh, bad. Mike Brown was, what was it? Was it 2014? I think well, that I may have been. So you was in college, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me too, like university. I went to University of Portland in Oregon, okay. which is a uh, very small Catholic uh, like yeah. university, which is very very white. But we did have a black student. <laughs> we did have a black student union too, and we did have allies. And so when instances like that came up, it, it was always good to have. knowing that you have this support system to lean on and so i really feel like what what you were saying there and uh and and to kind of dive into your career more but also just being a black woman too like what is it like balancing like your authentic self as a black woman with the (laughs) career itself like whether it's how you carry yourself whether it's kind of like with how you wear your hair like I, i again, kind of back on my Instagram, like, uh, dive of kind of, of you, like you, you shared an instance of, uh, you took like your braids down and like one of your colleagues like came to you and was kind of like, like what's going on? And you said like, well, I had to take it down. And then she was like, well, Derek Henry always has, you know, so, uh, so, so yeah so so explain to me like what has that balance been like for you like how difficult uh like has it been to like always maintaining that your authentic self with kind of kind of the job you do and and how how have you not gone through that you know i think that for me i don't know if i'm truly my authentic self in those spaces i think i mean i am right now because i know you were having a conversation but I think when I go to work, I'm not. And I think that's just because of years of being told you have, you sound like you're from Atlanta. Like, so your your voice is an issue. You have like a Southern twang to your voice. So I've gotten speech coaching, which mm-hmm. was not cheap. Um, your hair, you know, if it's like, okay, I wear my hair straight now because it's just easier. But when I did wear my hair natural and you saw that, doing my deep dive uh, (laughs) on Instagram. But at one point I was wearing my hair natural 
and then you would get comments from viewers. Or if I wore my hair in braids, that was like, why should I have to be scared or have courage to wear my hair in braids? You know, that was like a big deal, which I didn't even realize was going to go viral when I posted it. But that was just really how I was feeling. I really felt like I had to muster up the courage to wear braids because I didn't know what management was going to say. I didn't know what my viewers were going to say. And even just recently when I had braids for training camp, I've had people comment on my Facebook and say, oh, I like you better with your hair straight. Mm. You know, and that's crazy. And then the just recent thing when I took the braids and I had a coworker say, well, Derek Henry doesn't take his braids down. <sighs> Y'all know Derek ain't got no dang braids. Yeah. Like, you see what I'm saying? It's just like, why even come? And I think that's where like the frustration was in that video is just, it, it's 2023. Why are we still commenting on hair? Why are we still even like, just don't say anything at all. And I, and I did have a lot of people in the comments. There was like a big discussion in the comments and you had people that was like, well, if I want to comment on your hair, I should be able to comment on your hair and that's fine. But if it could be offensive, you know, and then, and now it's just going to be a big, a big deal. So maybe just not say anything is the safe bet. Unless you're really just saying like, oh my God, I really love your hair. And that's it. Yeah. But you coming to somebody asking what's wrong with your hair. Um, that was, that was difficult. Yeah. So kind of circling back to what you asked, it has been challenging because I think in this industry, there's a standard on air that you're supposed to look like, you're supposed to sound like, and that's not us. Mm. And so we're constantly being told very just, you know, it's not just like really blatant in your face. It's really subtle that you're not, that you're not the standard. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel like that's changing at all? Like is, is, has there been improvement in that regard in, yeah. in your mind? Yeah, I do feel like that because I, I think that a lot of us coming out wearing our natural hair, wearing braids on air, like it's just been like a complete, like, I mean, it's a, what is the word I'm trying to use? It's just been a, okay, a trend. That's, that's a trend. good word. Yeah, I was about, yeah, trend. trend. Okay. Um, for like, I follow, you know, Instagram pages that is like curly girls on air, you know, melanin women in journalism. Like it's really becoming this, it's, it, it's becoming just, something amazing to see. Because when I first got in the industry, I would have never thought, well, I can wear my hair in its naturally curly state, or I could wear my hair in braids, you know? And I think that now, because so many people are speaking out and because like social media is like huge, like if somebody says anything to you, you can post it just like I did, you know? And somebody may get in trouble. Um, so I feel like management especially these companies are, are being a little bit more lenient on us having our own identity and being able to wear our hair and not try to change us as much. Mm. Yeah. But Samaria, like kind of knowing, like, as you said, that there, you know, in your eyes, like you do see improvement, but knowing that you're still going to get those remarks, right? Like it, it's still, it's still gonna come like the the ignorance, microaggressions, whatever it is. So 
what motivates you to continue to maybe put up with it? Like, have you ever just thought about, okay, maybe I should just do something else or like what, what, what kind of keeps you going in, in spite of all that? Um, I think it's just like the thought of me inspiring someone else, you know, and it's when I get interns, you know, I always have an intern <laughs> when I get interns or when I get students that reach out to me on social media or email me or just, you know, a DM that I got on Facebook of a parent that's like, oh, my God, my daughter saw you and she's always wanted to do that, but she's never seen anyone like you or with braids or just doing sports. That's a big, a big deal too. I think that that continues to kind of push me forward when things get really tough. And I'm like, I don't have to do this. I can go do PR and make so much more money. <laughs> but I think another big thing is like, this is my passion too. So it doesn't ever feel like work. Mm -hmm. So I think that when you kind of like weigh the pros and the cons and I'm like, Okay, y'all can just say whatever you want. I'll have the memory of a goldfish, let it roll off my back, and I'll just keep pushing forward. Mm. Yeah. And and speaking of it being a passion, I, I had referenced that podcast you were on like about a year ago, and you said something in that podcast. You said in in doing your job, quote, I always wanted to give a voice to people that didn't have one, end mm. quote. Uh, what exactly did, did you mean by that? Yeah, so I think just with anything that we do as journalists, that is our main focus. Maybe not so much in sports because the athletes that we cover have a voice, you know, they have a platform. But I think just becoming a journalist, that was my goal, mm -hmm. you know, especially like in news, like those are the stories that we're doing. We're going out in the community. If someone has an issue, we're telling their stories, essentially and they couldn't get this platform on their own. And so we're coming, they're trusting us with the information and we're telling it to our audience to raise awareness or whatever you know the case may be. So I think that's what I mean when I say like giving a voice to those that don't have one, because there are so many people in our communities that are going through things and we are being tasked with telling those stories and hopefully make a change in those people's lives. And going back a sec to like, like you said, like you have interns with you, like at Titans practices or, or whatever, uh, showing them the ropes and, you know, most, if not all of them have been black women, like if, if I can recall. Yeah. So, um, I guess to them, like black girls, younger black women who see what you do and say, like, I want to do that too. What, what is maybe, what has maybe been like your biggest, like, uh, words of advice or wisdom for them? Ooh, um, that is a good question. Let me see. Because they ask me so much. I really try to be as honest as possible. I try to be as honest as possible. I don't try to sugarcoat anything. I try to let them know, like, this is what I've gone through in this industry. This is what you can expect to go through, you know, in, and I think that like, when I look back on those who mentored me, those words are the ones that really stuck with me. Cause you, you have an armor that you can build. You're not coming in blind because I've seen, and it's not just black women, I've seen white women, anybody have come into this industry and they're not prepared. And they're like, six months, I'm gone. 
a year, I'm gone. Because nobody really came in and told them, like, it's not easy. I think that there's this stereotype that our job is easy. And it is not. It is a lot of long days, a lot of covering, especially when you're doing news, covering death, accidents, um, you know, just the worst type. Like we say, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're covering the worst types of uh, stories. A lot of people think that they can come in and immediately go to a top market. You have to work your way up, mm-hmm. you know, so just kind of just letting them know, like, this was my journey, really like laying it out. This was my journey. This is what happened to me. That's not to say that that's going to happen to you, but I just want you to be prepared. So when it comes, you're not like, I can't do this, you know? Yeah. You'll be, you'll have the armor to to keep fighting. So, so when you speak of that journey, and and I want to get a little more like practical here, like what what do you think were maybe the the specific steps you took when you were younger, when you were at Auburn, to put you in a position today where you are in you know a relatively bigger city covering sports uh, as an anchor reporter, like what do you think enabled you to kind of get to this position? Because I think with both of us being in, in the industry, like we understand like how a lot of people can maybe get stuck in like smaller markets or, or not really feel, you know, fulfilled or not necessarily achieving like what they wanted to achieve when they first set out the intention of wanting to get into the business. So what do you think you did to set you up to where you are now? Yeah, I would say in college, and I started really late. And that's another thing that I tell all of my interns because they're always coming in and they're freaking out. I'm not done enough. I I have a cousin, a little baby cousin that goes to Hampton and she's a freshman. And she's like, I haven't done enough. I have, I'm like, girl, you're a freshman. I didn't get started until my junior year. Like I didn't get started into my junior year. And I think that I just really just locked down and focused. And I remember like winning awards for like creative standups. And I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. And so I think that it just kind of came easy that way. Um, but then when I got my first job in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, I got fired from that job. I don't know if you know that. No, after I didn't. I got that job after four months, I was horrible. So I did like traffic two days out the week, like Monday and Tuesday. And I was a morning reporter. I'm not a morning person. Clearly it's 1135 AM. I'm drinking coffee. Um, and so it was, that was, that was a major blow, but I think that that altered just when you hear like other people like Oprah and like other people who have, who were fired from jobs early in their career, it kind of just like catapults you because once you get back in, you're like, I'm not taking this for granted at all. I'm going to make sure that I am like overly prepared and not just coming in and just doing half a work, you know? Yeah. And so I think that that was really like the defining moment being fired, the way that I was fired, the way that they walked me out of that building. Ooh. I, I Yeah. Wait, so, so I need, if you're comfortable with it, I, I need a little more de- details on that. When you say the way they walked you out of the building, what 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 exactly do you mean by that? So I had a meeting. So it was like the month, you know, you have like a three month probationary period. And so after the three months, I met with the news director and she's like, hey, 
we're going to extend your probationary period. I was like, okay. And then that, that last month, I felt like I had progressed. I was like, this is just a big adjustment for me coming from college, waking up at 2.15 in the morning, doing, doing traffic in the morning. Like, there's no traffic in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina at 5 a.m. You know, so that was a struggle. Uh, then trying to turn stories for, like, I would shoot my stories and then they would turn the next day. So, you know, it was just a big adjustment for me. And I felt like three months wasn't enough time to be, to get the adjustment. Okay. So I, but I did feel like I was progressing. So when the four month period came, I had a meeting with her. I'm thinking she's going to say, Hey, we've seen some progression, you know, here's some more things to work on. We'll move forward. She's like, no, like we're letting you go. We don't feel like you've done enough. And I was like, okay. And she's like, there was a, there was like the chief photographer in there with me. And she's like, he's going to escort you to your car. And I was like, oh my, what? So I wanted to go back to my computer. I was like, like, I only had to, they only gave me like a time to like go and grab my stuff off my desk. I couldn't go on my computer. I couldn't get like any of the work that I had done. They were like, this is our computer. That's what they told me. And he walked me off of the property into my car. And then they watched me drive. Like, and I think once I drove off and it hit me, like, I literally just got fired from this job and I am at ground zero. Like I'm like square one. Hmm. I don't have anything. So I think that like work kind of traveled uh, around the station and I had like a great morning crew that I worked with. So like the directors were able to go in their archive and pull like my live shots from the week. Um, I had an anchor that I love, which was, she was a black woman. And she uh, pulled like some of the stuff from like, I think like that we had maybe like on in our archives, like on our system, she was able to kind of pull some of my stuff and they mailed me my stuff. Hmm. And that's what I was able to use to get my next job. Wow. But if I didn't have them, I wouldn't have had anything. I would have just, like I said, been at square one. I went back to Atlanta and then just kind of sat there for, I don't know how long, probably would have gotten out of the business because, you know, I think for me being a black woman already, it was going to be harder to get a job. And then to say, well, I, I got fired and I don't have anything really to show for the work that I've done. I think it would have been really difficult. Mm. Yeah. How how long that's crazy. Wow, that that is insane. Yeah. So how how long did it take you to maybe get out of the shock of that, right? Like it's, it's beyond beyond humiliation maybe, but like a shock just as you're driving away like like damn, like I I I don't have anything right now. Like how how long did it did that shift take from uh from maybe that shock to to what you said, like, okay, I just need to be over-prepared. Like, like how, how long did it take to, to kind of get to that moment of like, just totally changing your mindset of how you went about the job? Yeah, I think that I, I obviously cried. My mom cried, so she was crying worse than me. And it was crazy because my parents were actually in Myrtle Beach at the time. So they were there visiting me and it was right after Christmas. It was like the 28th of December. So they were already there and, uh, Thank God they were there because I really needed them to be there in that time. And I think like maybe after a day, 
And I was like, okay, once I was able to like talk to some people at the station, knew they were going to help me. I was like, okay, like I didn't feel as bad, but I think going back to Atlanta, then I kind of went back down in like a little hole a little bit. Mm. And I remember kind of sulking for, I would say maybe like two or three weeks. And then my dad is like, okay, girl, what, what you about to do? Cause you're not sitting here. And I, and so that, like I said, that was December 28th of 2015. And by March 6th of the next year, I had started a new job. That was my first day in Wichita Falls. So it wasn't a long time mm. that I was um, out of the business. Yeah. Mm. So w when you speak of like, kind of learning that like, okay, you need to just be over prepared for like how you kind of go about this job now. Like, what did it take to maybe like start to really embrace and internalize that? Was it just maybe just what you went through? Or was it you think maybe something deeper? Because I just know from my experience, like, just as kind of like black people, like I know for like from my 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 mom would always tell me like you have to be, you know, twice, three, four times as good as your white counterparts because you're, you're starting so much further behind them, and so you just have to be so much better just to even get in the same rooms and and to get to the same level. So um, going through what you went through and knowing that you need to embrace kind of that that mindset of like being over prepared like uh like what 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 did that take to maybe really internalize that just knowing like what you had just been through yeah i think like like i said my my upbringing i didn't i never had to fight with people that didn't look like me so that wasn't a part of my reality like it was for you you know so my parents weren't giving me that talk of you have to be twice as prepared as the white people that go to school with you because there weren't any. I think we had like maybe two or three, <laughs> mm -hmm. but there weren't any. We were the majority. Um, and so I think even at Auburn, you know, just college, everyone's nice. It's like, hey, this isn't really the real world. Like we love everybody, you know? And I was not, like I said, I was actually really good. I won awards and stuff. So it wasn't bad. I think that me going to Myrtle Beach was my first true taste of it, mm. really seeing it, you know, like getting an opportunity to talk to anchors and reporters that are really in the business at that station. I remember like the girl who I replaced. So she she moved up and I think she was like Monday through Friday, day side, but she was doing my job before. And she was like, oh, my God, like you're doing great. I was so bad. Like it took me like eight months to really get it together, mm. but she was white. Mm. So that was such a tough pill to swallow. And I always felt like they were harder on me. And I think for me, I kind of shut down, like just, that's my personality. Like if I, if you come across as not genuine, I don't even want to communicate with you. And I think that that's a flaw that I've had to like go through therapy to so especially like in, in the workplace, because mm -hmm. you have to communicate and I'll just be like, I don't want to talk to you. And so I think that was another part of that, too, was just I didn't feel like my managers were genuine and really mm -hmm. wanting to help me. 
And so I think that that was maybe why I didn't progress as much as I could have. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question you said? Uh, honestly, I don't even remember what the question was, but I think you answered it perfectly. <laughs> That's kind of what, what I was looking for. Um, okay. I think it was, yeah, something along the lines of like embracing the whole needing to be over-prepared. I think, yeah, I think oh, that's yes. what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So that was once I went through that, then I was like, okay, this is really what it is, you know? And so then my next job, I was the only Black person in the newsroom. Mm. And so my whole mindset was like completely different. Yeah, my whole mindset was completely different. Do you now look at that experience as uh, as a blessing? I mean, it may have been really heart heartbreaking, obviously, in the moment. But do you look at it as a blessing in that it helped create like who you are today? Yeah, Would that be accurate. Yeah, like all of the experiences that I've gone through—crazy sports directors, like you know that situation in Myrtle Beach. I, I look, they, I have them kind of like tucked away when I'm like, I need a little motivation. I'm like, let me go back, like kind of like Michael Jordan. I'm like, let me remember this. And so I can really ball out, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I definitely keep them. It's not something that I harp on every day. You know, I've, I have gotten over those situations, but I do kind of keep them in the back of my head just to to keep me grounded and to keep me, you know, with that mindset of, we're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep moving forward. We know what it was like back then, you know? So it just really helps push me when I need a, a little extra push. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Samari, I'm kind of winding down here. Uh, I guess where can uh, people follow you who want to kind of keep a tab on what you're doing in, in Nashville and just on your career um, in, in general? Yeah, I have like every social media. Twitter is just my name, Samaria Terry, and then Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I have YouTube now. It's Samaria Terry TV. There apparently is a Samaria Terry somewhere, and she takes all of my stuff, even TikTok. We're going to have to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. You, you're going to need to sort that out, reach out to her. Yeah. Because <laughs> like she has a TikTok. And she's like dancing or something. I'm like, I don't want people to think that's me. That's not me. I'm TV. Okay. Mario Terry TV. Got it. Got it. Awesome. And very last question for you. What What does black success mean to you? Oh, God. Yeah, it means everything. It, it means everything, especially when you think about where we've come from, African-Americans specifically, is just you know, to think about our ancestors and the journey that they took here and what they had to endure when they got here. At every turn, everything was just, you know, they got their feet knocked from up under them. So I think that us being able to live out their dreams and have success, I mean, it just kind of gives me chills just thinking about it. And I, and I hope that all of us move forward and we have our ancestors in the back of our mind, because I know that they're walking with us through this journey and so excited to see what we're able to do. That's beautiful. Journey. Yeah. Beautiful. Love it. Samaria, so, thank you so much uh, for joining the show. Uh, yeah, this has been great. Uh, first guest, uh, feel like it was a hit. Thank you for being open with me. And um, yeah, everyone tuning in, 
please be sure to check out Pinnacle Code on Instagram, X, uh, TikTok. I'm on pretty much all the, the social media platforms, and I did make sure I, I got all of them, uh, just the name. So, yes. so someone would try to uh, be See? in like a situation where someone is kind of like, yeah. So uh, I, I did make sure to secure all that. Good. But I uh, appreciate you guys for, for tuning in. And until next week, I'll see you guys soon. Peace out. Thank you, Samaria. Appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah.